A lot of my listeners may not know this, but mixology is certainly a side passion of mine. It's something that、uh, I've always enjoyed,、uh, especially the last ten years of my life, and taken some classes and enjoyed、uh, really learning and. Getting to have a good understanding of how things come together, ingredients, and how to build a good cocktail, especially, and、uh, as evidenced by Christmas time, I always receive lots of cocktail books.、Um, it's just something I enjoy doing, a passion. And when I got a chance to connect with Carla Green,、uh, the guest on today's show, who is a professional mixologist, I thought it'd be great for us to chop it up about mixology. But it also led into a conversation about vices and and、um, ordering retail while drinking. Very interesting.、Uh, lots of fun, a lot of laughter in this one. Fairly light,、uh, but I think you learned some pretty good things. So, without further ado, Carla Green.、Uh, on I saw you on LinkedIn. I think that's where I met you. Yes. And. I saw that you're into mixology, and I got very excited, extremely excited. Yeah, it was like a thing for me when I was like, "Oh, I need to talk to Carla." Yeah, what makes you so excited about it? Well, I um, well, I've always enjoyed drinking. Let's just put it that way, and but I've always enjoyed it from the point of view of how things are put together, the kind of the science and artistry. Of it, and I was like, man, I, I love doing my podcast, and I've had a lot of stuff, health and wellness, and sometimes it could feel a little too health and wellnessy sometimes,、yeah. you know. And I feel like we're kind, of, and I I got to jump into this with you. Might as well just jump into this right now. Let's do it. I feel like we're in a, we're in an age where like kind of like alcohol and you know and mixology and all this stuff is is somewhat being put to the test a little bit. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know. You should explain. You're like, no, I don't. I have no clue. Well, you know, there's just a lot like people like more about like drinking and cocktails and all that. Maybe more people are looking at it as like, hey, you know, should I be doing this? Or you know, the kind of this sober curiosity movement going on.、Yeah. Have you heard of this? Oh, I have heard of sober curious. Absolutely. So, what are your thoughts about this? I want to jump into this. Man, what?、Well- I think it's great. First of all, I, I'd like to just go on the record saying that,、um, politely saying that, my thoughts and opinions are my own, and in no way am I a representative of the company I work for, <laughs> who are fantastic. But、um, yeah, this is just me coming from my own experience and my almost twenty years in the bartending、uh, world. I, I would say that it's it's a good thing because there's really I mean, when we talk about alcohol, there's really no safe level, and as humans, we're we're just we're designed to not be good at moderation. <laughs> That's just how、right. made us. So I think it's great to to have a curiosity of what it might be like if you didn't, or if one didn't drink as much as maybe they did in college, or thought about <laughs> a year off, in, you know, of sobriety.、Yeah. I mean, that's. I think it's interesting, but you know, it's because、um, often like pendulums start to swing. You know, there's this pendulum of one way, and then people go one side to the other. You know, and 
I, I, because I like, I have a bar in my house. Like I enjoy the art of making cocktails and just the whole, the whole thing about it. I just enjoy the whole artistry about it and stuff. I enjoy a good cocktail, a dinner and things of that nature. Enjoy a good beer. But it's funny. It's sometimes feeling like I have a lot of guests actually who had to stop drinking. Like they don't drink at all anymore. And I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that more and more. And it, kind of to what you're saying, the lack of moderation is difficult for people. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's socially acceptable to drink. If you look at some of the standards from around the world, you've got, I think, uh, Britain saying that, or the UK saying that, you know, two, two drinks per person, whether or not you're male or female is acceptable. And then you've got, I think, Australia, that's much more uh, modest in that approach. And then you have to determine, well, what's a drink? And they, of course, say a beer, a glass of wine, or an ounce and a half of hard spirit. But some of the cocktails, you're talking three or four ounces in one drink. That that would be right. your drink. It's so easy to say yes to another one. So it, the ounce <laughs> rack up pretty quickly. So how do you, I, so have you seen this like in your work, you know, in bartending and what you're doing now, like that more people maybe being more conservative in their consumption of alcohol? Yeah, I think so. Um, the, the space in which I work doesn't really encourage excessive drinking anyway. So it's a, I yeah. work at a bar, so it's a little bit of a, a different demographic there. Um, I always make sure to put mocktails on my menu and to make them as fancy as maybe a regular cocktail of mine might be because it, it gives a, a sense of inclusion. And um, I don't necessarily like the word mocktail because <laughs> the word yeah. mock is in there. Um, I prefer zero proof, but whether whatever word you use, it's it's the same thing. It's just respecting boundaries. And that's that's a huge thing. And I'm not surprised because you have the come up of the of the weed industry now. So it's all about your uh, your your high preference, I suppose. I can tell you, like I my podcasts, and I'm not saying anything I haven't said on previous podcasts. Or I'm very open. Like for me, I I never had like that heavy drinking phase in college. I never had that. I was a collegiate athlete, and although a lot of collegiate athletes drink, it was, just wasn't my thing. My heavy drinking phase was like in my early 30s more. And then I have progressively drank less over the years. And I will speak to this, and it is because of weed. Definitely. <laughs> Most definitely. Because of I blame weed on it, man. As soon as it became legal, and, and I'm in Washington, a state that's been legal for a long time, recreationally. So I often do both. So, But I have very like i could have maybe one to two drinks and the other is like an edible or um could be some flour and that's it for me and i pretty much feel amazing <laughs> the whole time when i'm doing it you know so i actually i'm kind of like a lot of people my and my friends are the same way we started out with heavy alcohol consumption and we've backed off quite a bit throughout the years yeah i would i would agree um for myself, I I stayed away from a lot of stuff in my 20s. I was uh, focused on the competitive world of figure, and I yeah. stayed very stringent on my diet and hardly ever drank. And when I did, it was probably a bender or something. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something, I don't know. You, you 
come up with excuses for yourself. Sure. But um, you're absolutely correct. And in, in that for me as well, in my early 30s, it was I stopped competing and I ended up moving into a position in more of a, you know, nine, nine to five or, you know, nine to seven or however you want to yeah. look at it kind of role. And I would go home and I would pour myself a bourbon or a glass of wine and I wasn't getting fancy, you know, just drinking with my dogs. But, um, you yeah. start noticing that that's just a habit that you all of a sudden are finding yourself in every night. And then you have to have the self-awareness to pump the brakes and be like, maybe yeah. I should explore other drinking options that don't contain alcohol because yeah. the hangover is a lot harder to recover from than, <laughs> than it was when I remember in my twenties in college. So what's your relationship now with alcohol essentially as you're working with it and you're working with bourbon. I want to talk about the bourbon cause I, I'm a big bourbon fan. Just so you know, that was another thing. I was like, Oh, I love bourbon. I was like, so it's, where are you at currently? Um, my, the question was where my values are, you know, as well, what you're currently like you're working in the mm -hmm. alcohol based industry and how does that affect your personal usage of it? Um, I don't, you know, that's, that's really hard because I, there are weeks when I don't drink anything and then there are weeks when I have one every night. So it's inconsistent at best, but I feel like in my, in my role as for what I do for my company, I'm a, I'm definitely put out there, you know, in the media, as far as, um, being an expert in mixology and, um, for example, when I bartended in, in Wisconsin, which is my home state, like it's encouraged heavily by your patrons to, to drink with them. Whereas like here, you, you really wouldn't want to do that. And especially in my role, right. I, I, drink with my guests um at my bar and i'm constantly tasting the cocktails i make it's called a straw test i think most people know what that is but uh yeah, basically yeah. just checking for acidity and balance and things like that so believe it or not uh 58 of those straw tests equal an ounce and a half <laughs> of fluid i did it <laughs> i i discovered <laughs> that one day on some downtime so hey you know even if it's a slow steady stream of something those are calories and they add up and on really busy days you're you're getting like three ounces of or two ounces maybe of alcohol just by taste tasting the drinks over time so that's technically over my limit as a woman with my age and height and weight so what do you do <laughs> what do you do you know i don't drink tonight i guess it's unfortunate right right I think we have such an interesting, we're just in an interesting time. And that's why I was, I was like, really like, man, I got to talk to her about this. Cause I, I've, I've heard so many people who have had, who have struggled tremendously with their relationship with alcohol. And, you know, I was, and, but then it's kind of like you have these two factions where some people that just, it's a zero sum game. And then some people who have like, they don't have that overwhelming drive to like, it's kind of like a country song where they say, oh, I have one, I have 13, <laughs> you know, type of thing. Like, I never have that compulsion, ever. I'm like, oh, I had one, that's good. You know, I'm, I don't know, I've always been like that, though. Generally speaking, you know, every once in a while it goes off the rails, like back, you know, but it's weird, like how we're, it's weird to me, like there's this thing about like so much sober curiosity and then it's like, then the alcohol business thinks, is this a thing? Is like, 
And I've read articles, people go, oh, the end of alcohol. I'm like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> I'm like, Prob probably not, you know. I don't think it will be the end of alcohol. Um, it's been legal, you know, one of the only legal things we've had to to celebrate <laughs> in this country. So <laughs> um, for many, many decades. So we'll, we'll like crash the industry? Probably not. But it does ruin people's lives. Um, my mother. Certainly. She left uh, my brother, my my dad and I, um, when I was five, and she left for the bottle basically. And yeah. I think I think a lot of people were, you know, raised during situations like I was. Um, I remember very vividly as a as a little girl um, after my parents divorced. My my mom maybe saw us a couple times after for visitation, but she would take us to this bowling alley, Silverbird Lanes in um, in Wisconsin, and I'd sit at the bar and I'd drink just so many Shirley Temples. Like just the smell of the grenadine now makes me sick. But that was just <laughs> also she could have a drink while she was you know spending time with us, and she ended up having a stroke in her early forties. Uh, she was a heavy mm. heavy drinker. Um, probably the time she was 10 or 11 and also a heavy smoker. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, even after that stroke, it, it did not change her behavior and she still smokes mm. and drinks and it's, it's really sad. And sometimes I wonder if, you know, that's going to be some like kind of generational pass down to me. And I always have that in the back of my head thinking, well, I don't, I don't want to end up in that situation because this life is so, so awesome. You know, why, why would yeah. you want to do that? But People, people use it as a crutch. And I mean, if you're not addicted to alcohol or something, something that you might be addicted to that maybe is not you personally, but for anyone who says, oh, I don't have a problem with alcohol. I, I can drink one and be fine. Well, let's talk about what other maybe addictions you might have. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's so true. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. That's so true. Well, you talked about doing figure, right? And in competitions. And I, uh, I certainly have had a lot of experience with working with people who have been in that. I wouldn't, I'm going to call it a lifestyle during that time when they're doing it. It's very extreme, very extreme. And the person may not be having alcohol while they're doing figure competitions, but in a way they could, they're in something that also can be incredibly damaging also. And at least what, in my experience that I've seen it with people, it can, it, so it's like saying, Hey, a person eats at McDonald's, why are you putting that crap in your body? But then another person goes, oh, I just go to Starbucks. I'm like, okay, well, who's worse? You know what I mean? Like what's the, so people are suffering from a lot of different extremisms in their life, you know, but they'd like to villainize one thing more than the other often, you know? Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, because it really just divides us even more. Uh, I, both are bad, McDonald's and Starbucks. I, I could go on for <laughs> reasons why, um, you know. And I've been on that that scale too, where you know it is a destructive lifestyle. It's if you don't know how to manage or juggle, or if you don't have a support system or tribe, you can easily get you know hyper focused on it. Uh, it did metabolic damage to me, um, and I was pretty like clean at my approach. I'm you know a natural competitor. Um, again, not, not to discredit anyone who supplements in any way, but for me, that was part of the challenge was to see how I could get my body without, you know, using enhanced methods. And it, that was taxing, you know, you spend, uh, like seven or eight years in a just below 
we're just above starvation state. <laughs> that will do something right. to your to your organs and your adrenals and things like that. So it it's it, that's an addiction in itself. And we always have to yeah. compare ourselves, and that's just so sad to me because it, you know we're in a weird age too with social media and how we haven't had enough time to really. Um, research it or or see it grow and develop and like everyone's trying to outdo each other like it's it's not a race <laughs> you know life is not a race it's 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 tough to i think navigate and sometimes alcohol buffers that <laughs> <laughs> it's just interesting right i mean there are so many vices out there and i certainly have seen how alcohol's vice has destroyed people before and i think it was very interesting i was listening to a podcast where a gentleman was saying how like he's he is ex also exposed to a lot of people who have had a lot of problems with alcohol but like and sometimes he feels guilty being like well i like alcohol like i enjoy it i never go crazy but should i feel guilty for liking it when i know a lot of other people are suffering and are you know are addicts and stuff and I think there's there's that kind of conversation sometimes going on um, with people is like, well, I enjoy it, but like maybe there's another thing that I'm abusing, <laughs> like you said, outside of that. And it's even I'm in the exercise business. I've seen I was seeing that you have, you know, experienced exercise business, the whole thing. And exercise is one thing that is totally an addiction for some people, like crazy. Absolutely. Levels. It's their alcohol. It's their alcohol, you know. Yeah, I, I agree. I've uh, I've said dozens of times that exercise has been my Prozac many of times. <laughs> Honestly, bodybuilding saved my life um, for a lot of reasons. And I give it credit, even though I, I no longer compete, I've dabbled in the idea of maybe stepping on a on stage again, maybe with a natural organization. Um, but, you know, you just so like, free-spirited and destructive in your teens and 20s i mean yeah, maybe not yeah. everyone but you you know you just you're out there and exploring life and you're still trying to figure out who you are and it's really easy to you know have a lot of regrets you know in college for instance you know just going out and drinking and drinking to the point of i don't know blacking out and i think that's uh pretty much the uh summary of a lot of people's college experience and then waking That's pretty up pretty bad <laughs> not, yeah, not remembering who you are or what you did or having to call friends to to get a play-by-play -play on <laughs> whether or not oh you my gosh one well you know that's just yeah. what happens when a bunch of girls go out together um and uh, i mean i had a roommate in college who she was so so bad she had to go to rehab she would keep a handle of captain morgan and just oh my gosh she would drink a handle like every two to three days and yeah yeah and then like she it was just she would go and like go for a run she would do like four and she would just shoot four ounces of captain morgan and then like go for a jog i'm like what what's happening right now like whoa <laughs> yeah and it was really sad she was such a sweet girl uh i wish i would have stayed in touch with her just to see where where she's at now but um i'm really hoping that she she's overcome that because, but you know, you just don't know people's story either. And it's always been linked to escapism. And that's, that's really unfortunate. Yes. You have to have self-awareness, I think, to be able to handle it. Because it is a spirit and there's a reason why they call it that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny when, when I decided to get a, a bar in my house, I was like, I wonder what my wife's going to think of this. Like, 
and she's she's not a big drinker at all like she she was with somebody who drank a ton when she was like 15 through 25 and then she just kind of was like no and she just like drinks a beer here and there which is funny because she always stocks our fridge with lots of beer but doesn't drink much of it herself all the time. I think she likes the idea of it. And she'll, well, like one of our big things, we split her beer all the time. So it's just like a little fun thing we do together. So it's just like, oh, let's split a beer. It's very social. But I think that everybody has some, there's, this became a discussion about vices, which I didn't know we were going to do, but I love it. I totally love it. Because I think everybody has a vice. There's something that is their escape for that. But we're always trying to say your escape is worse than mine or, oh, I'm exercising. I'm doing something healthy and you're drinking You're doing something bad. But that's a slippery slope to be on, you know? Yeah, I think we have enough guilt and shame in our culture. I grew up Catholic, so I, I feel shame and guilt for things I didn't even do. And it's really unfortunate. Yeah. I think a lot of people are are like that too. And that, that goes back to your point about feeling like just because I like alcohol and I know people who don't, do I have to also feel like, you know, I'm not, I'm offending them in some way or I should stop right. drinking. They think it's wrong, you know? So there's always that tie too, because you don't want to be extradited from your tribe or your group. Right. And if you don't have the same habits and, you know, likes, and then all of a sudden you just kind of become this rogue outsider and, excluded and nobody at the end of the day really wants that so it's great that there's a sober curious um community developing where i mean i've, I've read articles about um you know zero proof bars opening up and the the mocktails are like on the culinary level of a, a cocktail but they're just don't con contain alcohol and i think that's an awesome choice but then i'm like isn't that just a coffee shop <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't that where that all kind of started was the coffee shop? I mean, it's super cool. I'm not knocking it in any way, but <laughs> I, I don't know. It's the same thing. <laughs> well, same you, you know, it, it, yeah. Well, even just like our, our coffee consumption in this country is skyrocketing. You know, it's so much. Coffee is not something that just there's nothing in it. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, it's a stimulant, man. <laughs> you know, it's. <laughs> technically a drug <laughs> you know, I mean. it is a drug and it is the most addictive and probably most consumed drug in the country right now i mean i don't know what else you would coffee or um nicotine is probably up there but i definitely am i'm yeah. glad that people have stopped smoking like that's been I think a we all kind of agree with that right we can all probably agree that like cigarette smoking is like wow like whenever you see somebody smoke i'm always like I'm not sure what's happening here. <laughs> like, what's, why is this still happening? You know? Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, I, I smoked for about three years when I was 17. I was, I was a, a freshman in college at 17. All my friends were a year older than I was. They never questioned me when I'd buy cigarettes and I would just smoke them because I don't know, everyone else was doing it. Um, and then I quit, um, not by choice, but I, I got pneumonia really, really bad when I was 20 and I was dying on the couch and I didn't know if I was going to live to see the next day. And, uh, three weeks had passed and I realized that I had never picked up a, a cigarette during that time of my sickness. And then I thought, why, why even start? Like I, I had taken a 
I, I realized I had taken advantage of the fact that I could breathe <laughs> and right. taste buds returned. And I'm so very grateful that um, as a social smoker, I was able to put that drug down without even, you know, considering it or picking it back up again. It was just something I never wanted to touch again. So I'm very grateful for that. But there are still people out there that are addicted to smoking. Now they turn to, uh, I was watching a documentary. I've actually never smoked a cigarette ever. I'm not trying to say this like I'm a goody two shoes. It just, I just was never around anybody who smoked like ever. So it was never like a thing. Um, but I saw this documentary on like, you know, like the vaping and how like that's become like a big thing and very destructive also. And it's supposed to be a way to get people off cigarettes, but it's become highly like, a destructive thing that at least I've seen just just what I've been exposed to and seeing that you know well right I mean who needs bubblegum flavored tobacco or <laughs> like you're you're marketing these flavors and everything else and it's okay well that's smoking but with the drinking I just saw a billboard for cinnamon flavored coke like all right coca-cola I know what you're doing you're getting these little kitties hooked on the cinnamon coke combination so that as soon as they are old enough to let someone buy them alcohol they're going to put fireball in it like because that's yeah pretty much what you're what you're setting them up for so I know I don't want to drink cinnamon coke I just kind of tastes like potpourri I don't, I don't know <laughs> but yeah I mean and it's really sad because a lot of the kids are buying these you know knockoff um cartridges for their jewels and stuff for the flavors and it's making that they're they're dying over it it's, it's definitely not worth it well that's what i'm saying like there's just like the vices are everywhere and escapism is a great word that you said carla that i think if a person really looks at themselves everybody is using something to escape something on some level you know you had a hard day at work you know kids are going crazy you know dealing with you know, a variety of stressful things. Um, but I do feel like, you know, like you were talking about this, we were saying the sober curiosity. I think it's a good thing too. I think if people learn more moderation um, or that maybe that's not the thing for them, it's good. Information is good, I think, for that. And I, and I think, um, but also on the other hand, it's funny, I really love the the whole kind of artistry of cocktails, especially, which was, that's what drew me, the whole mixology thing. I want to talk bourbon because that seems to be what I saw about you. Is that a spirit that you are uh, particularly fond of, or is it just a, a, a fact of like where you're working? Um, I, I grew to love it. Uh, so bourbon is the heart and soul of Kentucky. They're responsible for producing 95% of the world's bourbon. And when I moved to the Louisville area in 2016, I didn't know much about whiskey in general. Um, yeah. I just, I mean, I, I am the kind of person where I, I'll educate, you know, I'll, or I'll research things if I'm really interested in it. So I ended up working at some really nice restaurants and establishments in the city where I got a crash course in whiskey education because that's what makes the city flourish. It's, you know, a huge draw for tourism. And I ended up where I did, um, by hard work and persistence and i focus mostly i would say 90 percent of my work is focused solely on the whiskey portfolio and mm. my luxury of tasting some phenomenal very rare whiskeys in uh, some of the educational seminars i've attended and also in some of the accounts i've worked and 
it's you start to get a palate for it it does take practice which makes me sound like a raging alcoholic like <laughs> <laughs> this bourbon flight you know i mean <laughs> but yeah um i've definitely grown to like it and i've I, I enjoy it. And I actually go back to our products um, a lot because I, I just like the the balance of the bourbons that my company produces. But I, you know, I'm an equal opportunist, so I will try any bourbon that's in front of me and and be the Same judge. Here. <laughs> that's well, speaking of speaking of speaking of cinnamon, are you a, a fan of like like cinnamon whiskeys, bourbons that, you know, the different kind of adding in those extra textures with it. Well, if I could get, and by the way, is that bourbon in there? That better not be bourbon in that, that thing. You have <laughs> it's a combination of bourbon and coffee, actually. No. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, uppers and downers. Let's go. I'm, I'm sitting right. outside the gym right now too. So, um, no, it's, uh, it's water and you should drink a hundred ounces a day and then you can have your bourbon. Yes. <laughs> um, We're just trying to talk about this in a responsible way. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so if I could get technical though about your question on the flavored bourbons or whiskeys, um, it's technically not a bourbon if there's flavor added to it because bourbon can only be comprised of the distillate and water um, or the, the mash and water basically of Okay. You can't have any flavorings in there. However, um, companies can get around that by stating that there's um, they use their bourbon whiskey as their base. Like typically, they'll they'll have they'll use it as a base and then add a cordial and uh, after distillation or something like that. But so yeah, bourbon okay. just the the mash bill and then the water that's used to proof it down or proof it up or whatever. So after tasting all of this bourbon, bourbon flights apparently, which I'm gonna have to be check that out sometime. Um, what is your favorite bourbon? Oh my god! I hope no one from my company is listening. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and I've got a few of them. I would say for the value, my favorite bourbon is probably Evan Williams Single Barrel. Um, that's always spot on and under 30 bucks you can't find an eight-year single barrel anywhere now for under 40 um at, at least in my market so that's always a good value um i also really like old foresters 1910 that's a, a double barreled release um that's relatively new to the market i tend to like fuller bodied you know a little smokier a uh, little bit more robust i also like uh woodford's double oaked so you know I, I would say those are in my top three wow I'm going to have to, I've, I've had Evan Williams before. It's a particular one you're talking about. It is good, especially for the value. It's difficult to find something at that price point that is that good for that. Um, I can't remember if this is actually bourbon or not, but like Basil Hayden's, do you like that? It's been a while since I have visited Basil. Um... You visited? <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell my husband we had a date night once. Um, yeah, I, if I can remember, I, I just felt like basil was a little bit, uh, lighter bodied on the palate. So for me, yeah, that's true. not, not something I would like gravitate towards, but you could always beef it up by making an old fashioned with it or something to that effect. So when we're talking about making cocktails, um, speaking of, uh, 
drink like that, an old-fashioned, more of a prohibition-era cocktail. What's your favorite cocktail to make with bourbon? I get, I get asked that question all the time, and the only thing I can answer is my favorite cocktail is the one I haven't come up with yet. I am a purist at heart. I like to taste um, the flavors as they are in in the liquid, whether it's bourbon or coffee or something to that effect. So, um, yeah, I I don't drink cocktails, <clears throat> which is oh. weird for being a mixologist. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you just blew my mind there. Wait a minute. You don't drink cocktails, but you make cocktails. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there are certain things. It's kind of like you judge a restaurant by their burgers or their Bloody Marys or something like that. But so if I do feel pressured to have a drink or a cocktail, because everyone, everyone assumes that I should be loving cocktails, but really I don't like the calories. I don't like the sugar and I have control issues. So I, if I don't have a working relationship with the person that's behind the bar making the drinks, I struggle being like, can I trust you with this right now? Yeah. I don't know, if I can, but I usually like, I'll try a, a Hemingway or maybe a margarita or, um, maybe a, an egg white cocktail of some sort just mm. because I like to watch technique too. So sometimes I might not even like the drink, but I like to see the person make it. And then maybe I can pick up a couple extra tips, um, not via cash, but by what they're doing. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> for clarifying that. Okay. Um, not wrong. I'm not trying to hustle someone else's tips. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. What do you, so speaking of technique, um, what are some common mistakes? Maybe the, um, the home bartender makes or maybe a rookie bartender it makes in terms of technique um the build is really important um i always say put your least expensive ingredients first because if you mess something up it's a lot easier to swallow you know dumping down lemon juice and simple syrup than it is an ounce and a half of really good spirit so i would always right. say you know, build it that way um you know, shakes, shakes are important, um, especially if you're dealing with like an egg white, you know, you have to have a certain length of time and a certain aggression to shake it. And um, you won't get the froth that you need if you don't shake it that way. Um, I mean, yeah, I and it's, it's a lot of showmanship too. Like there are just some beautiful presentations, not just after the cocktails made, but like the making of it, they're like magicians. And I am, I'm not the most graceful person behind the bar. So um, I do, I do craft cocktails at a high volume. So it makes it very difficult to like protect, uh, perfect this kind of, you know, black swan ballet of mixology behind the bar. I'm just like <laughs> trying to roll and <laughs> make sure that it's in the person's hands within a, an equal amount of time too, because that can get relatively annoying after a while too. If there's too much showmanship, People are just thirsty and they want to drink. So you have to find a. Yeah. I've had people say they've, you know, they've gone to restaurants and have waited 20 minutes for a round of cocktails. And it was, it was a delightful drink, but 20 minutes is like almost, if you get your cocktail after your food, you know, there's a, there's an issue. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. I, you know, I've been in, uh, I lived in Las Vegas for a long time and when I first lived there, there wasn't a whole bunch in the cocktail scene, but then it like really exploded. And there were some really, what I'd call some really fancy high-end cocktail bars where, you know, it's just cocktails, no food, nothing. I mean, it was all about like 
it would take 10 minutes to get your drink, you know, and like, it wouldn't even be busy. <laughs> It'd just be like, the person's like really taking their time. Everything is, it's, it's a show, you know? Um, and I appreciated that, but I also appreciated being in like a dive bar and getting something. And it just kind of threw it out to me. And I'd be like, I kind of like, my whole thing is I either, I either like my cocktails to be at a really high end place or at, or at a really crappy place. <laughs> like, I don't really like the in-between too much. Like, just right. either really up or really, like, bottom basement <laughs> level place, you know? So I, I appreciate both, but I, I could see that in my experience that there, you know, I've had it many times where it's taken 20 times to get a, 20 minutes to get a cocktail. It's very mm -hmm. annoying. Yeah, it, it can be. Um, I think a lot of people forget to... Now that we are kind of nestled in the, the comfort of expecting craft cocktails, because that has become the norm now is that expectation of craft and creativity, no matter where you go. Uh, it's real. I mean, I just feel like we're in that spot now where we should have a little bit more um, understanding of what it takes as a as a craft mixologist. It, it will take more time. You've got someone much more dedicated to your experience of drinking it. Um, yeah. One of the best things about my bar is that it's very transparent and it's out in the open and just limited seating. So whenever I'm making a cocktail for someone, they see it made right in front of them and it blows their mind. They, cause if you go into a restaurant, you know, you might sit at a table and you might order this drink based off the menu based on flavors you think sound really interesting and then it just comes out to you and there's there's no communication between the bartender and this patron and they'll drink it but then seeing it being made is like a whole nother level of appreciation um it also too and like once you get to a certain point as a mixologist i which this that's the title of um of my role and i i feel that it's a little stuffy <laughs> it sounds a little snooty to me because I'm just a bartender at the end of the day. But um, for people, it's it's an art form now. And it's like sharing their art. And it's, when I come home and, you know, someone really appreciated that during my shift, it makes it makes my career choice a lot more, um, you know, manageable. Because sometimes you have people who are just like, I want my drink now. And you just ordered a, a Ramos Fizz. Like, that's going to take 20 minutes. Like, you have to have a little bit of... Um, I guess, grace and understanding when you go into places like that, because they're very labor intensive and you could work at a, a whiskey and beer, you know, dive bar, you know, a beer and a shot and it's, you know, four bucks or three bucks and they put a five down and you're making $2, a $2 tip on that where you're making a 10 to $20 cocktail and you might get a dollar because they waited a little bit you know, long, longer for their drink, or they didn't see you make it. So they don't have that additional layer of appreciation. And it's, it's beautiful to be behind the bar and work in that. Yeah, I would imagine so, especially when it's very busy and people, you know, a rush hour and people are in there and they want their drinks, but you're trying to create this art for people that it's really beautiful. Like I always appreciate, like I was at a restaurant over the weekend 
And uh, like this, maybe this this makes me sound like a raging alcoholic. I don't even look at the, the food menu first ever whenever I go to a place. Sorry to look inside how I go to a restaurant. I look at the cocktail menu first, always. One, it fascinates me because I'm like, well, how creative is this? What are the different ingredients? You know, I saw a cocktail was called a Tipperary. You know, I'm sure different names for all these things. And it had like Jameson, it had green chartreuse, it had bitters. I was like, oh, that's my drink. Also because I knew it was gonna be pretty small, you know, and uh, I like kind of a low volume, uh, high potency drinks. Um, and I just like looking at it and smelling it. And like, it's a whole thing for me. I'm like, it's just, it's the aroma first. And the, it's, a, it's, it's, I think how some people look at wine, you know, they, they, they swish it around you know, they smell it and the whole, they're like really connoisseurs of it. That's how I feel about cocktails for me. Um, but I appreciate that the complexity of a drink and when uh, a place is like, hey, we're really going to stretch a little bit here and put some ingredients that maybe you haven't even thought of that existed, you know? Yeah, that's, that's the fun part. I think sometimes you have to find the balance between overthinking a cocktail and trying to you know have too many steps to learning how to simplify the drink and still get those hit those flavor notes and that balance because i've been caught in that trap several times trying to you know conceptualize a cocktail and then i've i need eight steps to get there and i'm like is even if someone wanted to <laughs> at home like how, how can i simplify this yeah yeah how can you simplify it it's amazing and so is this a profession that you feel like you're just always going to continue to be in or it's you find yourself wanting to do other things over time? That's, that's really tough. Um, man, I don't, I've always been in hospitality because I've moved a bit and it, you can yeah. always find something, you know, as a bartender, you can always find something somewhere to work, but you also never get acknowledged for, your experience you always start at the bottom to quote prove yourself and that's mm. always a lot harder um but i i stayed in bartending all through school uh i went to unf in jacksonville florida and i got my master's in english and i was planning on teaching and i was finding like adjunct roles that were paying less than 14 dollars an hour when you did the math on you know the rate for the semester and and they wanted you to be there like midday. And I'm like, so I'm going to end up having to bartend and then teach the students that who are coming to my bar. Like, it just didn't seem like a good mix, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a small world. I don't need to, you know, be your, be your, you know, professor and then also serve you your alcohol and be the reason why you didn't turn your assignment in. So when I moved back home, I just picked up a couple bartending jobs. And then when I moved here, I was like, well, I need to bring in some money. And, I, and then I ended up where I'm at now. And I'm very grateful because I, it took me five months to get on between, I had three interviews, five, almost five months uh, between I, the interview. And by the time I got the offer and it's, it's a huge player in the bourbon industry. And so I, I'm grateful for that, but I've kind of also reached a, a pinnacle. Like I can't really go any further in my position. Um, so I, I always have that in the back of my head and, you know, Working in hospitality, it is a very labor-intensive job, and it 
does not do well on the body if you do not take care of yourself if you if you don't eat right and you don't go to the gym uh, you will find that those things will be compounded and by the time you hit 32 you're going to roll over one day and you're going to be like i feel like i'm 60 years old and you know and there's also other issues too in hospitality like um, inadequate breaks and heavy heavy smokers and alcohol use and um, substance abuse so uh, but thankfully there are some organizations out there now that are <clears throat> trying to create you know communities around that like ben's friends which uh was created not too long ago and um i i don't know the backstory completely so i i hope no one if it, please correct me if someone hears this podcast on um, the give me details because i just read it and i can't think of the exact words but um, someone in the hospitality industry committed suicide and a lot of his friends and coworkers rallied around because he seemed fine the day before he did it. And so then now there's this, um, this group called Ben's friends and they have chapters in different cities where if you're thinking about becoming sober curious or want, you know, a community to support you, it's there in a non-judgment, non-judgmental way. And it's a deviation from like the, the, um, AA meetings and things, you know, because that's a little bit of an outdated approach as well. It works for some. And, you know, if that's what it takes for people to put the bottle down, like I, I support that hundred percent, but there's also people, people travel that journey, you know, differently. And it's nice to know that there are options. And that was a very long winded answer to your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, this is uh, me asking you stuff. So I want to hear what you have to say. I, I just, you know, I've been I've been looking for somebody on my podcast to chat about alcohol, honestly, uh, and, and and like in both sides of it and stuff, not for my personal thing, but more for my audience, because I feel like a lot of what I've had on my show are people who are like zeroed out of alcohol. And listen, there are plenty of people who are listening to my podcast who still enjoy alcohol, too. And so, you know, with anything, you can't be like hit up people overly with all this health stuff, like don't do this and here's that, you know, and let's exercise all the time and let's eat well all the time. And and I think there's certainly obviously a place to eating well. And, and I love exercise. Listen, I'm it's my business. I enjoy exercising, but also seeing the trappings of exercising too much and having a terrible relationship with food. And, and people have that also with alcohol, but then there's also people in populations that are enjoying alcohol. Maybe there's no healthy amount, obviously, but there are certainly lots of people who are enjoying alcohol who are just very social with it and they're not getting completely destroyed and it's just very social for them. That's it. And mm -hmm. those people, they should have representation too, not just people who are going too far over the edge or who basically have sworn off of it. I like to get, have everybody have their voice be heard related to all these different things, because in the end, they're, they're just different vices. It's just a different thing. Like I love the comedian Jim Gaffigan and he was talking about though, he always makes fun of how fat he is and stuff on stage. And he's always joking about it. And he was like, yes. And this is the McDonald's Starbucks thing. He was like, yeah, you make fun of me for having, uh, McDonald's, but you know, stop kidding yourself that you're not drinking a milkshake at Starbucks, you know, type of thing. There's like 70 grams of liquid sugar in a Starbucks latte, frappuccino, whatever. So that's you're gonna give yourself the diabetes. Stop that. 
you're gonna have the diabetes <laughs> it's not good your body can only absorb like five to ten grams at most a day of liquid sugar like you can't find liquid sugar anywhere in nature right and right. we've lost contact and like we've lost the true roots of being human like we're animals at the end of the day like we haven't evolved it takes twenty thousand years for as something evolutionary to kick in so our diets have only changed in the last what like five thousand with agriculture and in the last 200 with industrialization like we're not even up to that twenty thousand mark where we can say we've evolved to eat this stuff like we haven't so we have to make sure that you know if you're going to splurge on alcohol like please don't make it a bahama mama because <laughs> <laughs> Do yourself a favor, okay? Stop with the... Oh, my God. I haven't had one of those in, like, 15 years. Seriously, like... Yeah. Crazy. All that sugar and alcohol, that's that's putting your body through some serious shock. And coffee, too. Like, if you're waking up and you're, and you're having your coffee first thing in the morning, you're an addict. <laughs> um, I... I love coffee and I'm, this is something that I struggle with, but if you're sweating out like two or three pounds of water throughout the night, because your body is shutting down and you're using that sleeping time to repair itself, you need to replenish that water before you put the coffee in and the coffee is a diuretic. So it's, you know, pulling additional water out of your cells. Like when you get up, just drink 16 ounces of water first before you reach for the coffee pot, you know, get some water or fluids back in before you, you know, go to the coffee pot shaking like a junkie, which is usually how. <laughs> and it, it's bad. If, if you can stop coffee and caffeine for like a month and just like detox yourself from it, that's awesome. And that that's just another step of someone being able to say, I have control over my choices. Because when you feel like you don't have control over them, whether it's coffee or McDonald's or alcohol, like it's all the same thing. You're using that, that beverage or that food to i don't know replace feelings or escape so don't do that learn how to take baby steps but yeah some yep. people are like superhuman and they can i had an irish friend that drank jameson like by the bottle and he was fine and i'm like do you have a liver i i'm concerned <laughs> but but he was like coherent you know he was just like but you know he was irish so maybe <laughs> maybe some stereotypes are true i don't know um but i always i have a deep deep respect for sacred plants and you know we've been drinking wine for millennia we've been drinking beer for millennia all those things can be can be produced naturally but when you start dabbling in the high proof spirits you know you need tools you need stills and uh chemistry and you know, extensive knowledge on how to not blow yourself up while you're trying to distill all of this stuff. So it takes a little bit more effort on the human part to make something so high, you know, high proof or potent, you know, maybe, maybe scale back by just trying wine or, you know, learning about beer and supplementing with bourbon and, you know, maybe just two finger pour instead of like four. <laughs> It's all, it's all funny i mean it's just funny to me i don't know it's uh i've had so many times thinking about these things you're talking about i think as i've gotten older you know i'm 41 now 
And I've thought to myself, I'm like, you know, there's just so much out there, you know, for a person with alcohol, it's coffee, uh, it's exercise, it's food, there's all these things, it's just all these vices, you know, and people are truly trying to figure out how to be in control and to and not have their feelings. I think you just have to be, you got to be in your feelings. You got to really be open and honest about how you're feeling, whether it's bad, whether it's good, the whole thing. Be open to who you are as a person. You have a range of emotions. It's part of who you are as a person. You're not going to be happy all the time. You're not going to be sad all the time. There's going to be a lot of different things going on. Life is hard. Life is fun. But I do think that you know, the big part of our culture is definitely our vices and how we, which ones we choose to demonize and which ones we choose to raise up as good vices for that. And it's getting kind of, it's getting kind of messy for me right now because I'm so like, okay, well, you know, what's a good vice? I don't know. Like people, well, well, people will say that exercise is a great vice. I'm like, yeah, to a point, it's a great vice. I'm like, or, you know, just people say healthy eating, but then there's a term orthorexia, which was an obsession with healthy eating. Then people get to a point where that destroys their life too for that. So what's good? What's bad? It's getting a little messy. Now it's like, hey, weed. Now we're all in everybody's weed, you know, and now is the uh, um, psychedelics, which I've done myself. I love I love mushrooms. I don't care. I just say this stuff, man. I've done mushrooms. I've detailed my experience on my podcast. It's one of the episodes for sure. And it was incredible type of thing. I don't know. Was that bad? Is it good? Are edibles bad? Is weed? You know, it just, it feels very murky to me. If somebody says, this is bad for you, that's bad for you, that's good for you. I don't know. It's, it seems very, now I, yeah, there are things that will definitely, what's the redeeming quality of uh of like crack cocaine. I don't think anybody's found it. <laughs> I don't think, you know, heroin. I don't think anybody's found the redeeming quality of that. But, you know, I think it's just a weird time. We're trying to figure out who we are and how we how we live with these different vices that we have, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we should be more accepting of people who have them because if you look at some other, Finland or Sweden was another, um, they had a horrible epidemic with, um, heroin and you know other illicit street drugs and instead of demonizing and criminalizing these people who clearly had abuse issues um, they legalized it and they provided the drugs for them and believe it or not um, a very very high percentage of these people ended up becoming responsible adults were able to get themselves into homes um, not like halfway houses or rehabs but like yeah. they were able to get off the street and afford their own apartments and you know did they keep going to the clinics to get their needles yes but they were they had to do it there in front of you know the nurses and they became functional members of society even though they had this addiction so i don't necessarily think that that vices should be crippling or uh you know i i feel like if you're if you're in the right scenario if you're with your tribe and it's a feast day i think we've every day is a feast day for a lot of americans because we're surrounded by so much surplus but um in in related to in relation to like 
holidays or, you know, once a month, go and splurge. Don't worry about how much you're drinking, you know, let loose. Don't worry about the calories and the cake. Just do your thing, be with your friends and and be with your, be with your tribe. But for the rest of the month, like there is a bit of, you know, discipline and self-control. And there's actually a lot of freedom and discipline too. If you, if you learn discipline, you learn that you're no longer bound by your thoughts and your, you know, your cravings, because you understand that you have the power to decide where I think a lot of people forget that they're in charge of their own life. And, you know, they don't have to just say, use the first excuse that comes to their head and say, well, I had a bad day, so I'm going to have a cocktail. Like, that's just an excuse, you know? So I think discipline is a huge, huge thing. And, you know, it gets a little bit scarier as you get older, if you've managed to, uh, you know, not be caught by Johnny Law with drunk driving or something like that up to mm-hmm. this point. Getting a DUI now at 36, which is how old I am, that would destroy my my life for many, many right. years. Of course. Where of course. They're a little bit more forgiving on you if you did it when you were first turned 21 or if you were just fooling around and when you were younger, like you have your whole life ahead of you. But if you screw up now, like forget it. You're you're just I don't know. <laughs> move move somewhere out of the country and just try to start over somewhere. But <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little bit more terrifying now as you get older. So I think people learn to kind of be more thoughtful in their drinking, maybe. Or maybe not. I think so. I mean, maybe not. But I, I think so. One of the greatest inventions to me was Uber. I mean, when I was hitting it hard in my early 30s, especially, my friends and I, we made a huge of commitment to Uber everywhere we went all the time. And um, we never went anywhere without Ubering. And this was in Vegas. We were always, we would drink, we'd hang out, but we would Uber everywhere. And it was like, it just felt more responsible. And I, I continue that to this day because it's just not worth it to operate vehicles when you're when you're under the influence and stuff. And there's there's a lot of planning that should go into having your good time as well. I mean, I think hopefully as you get older, you see that. And hopefully as you're younger, you have these, this technology already. You weren't like me back in the day, you know, who were like really back in the day when I did indulge. Even then I was more responsible. My buddy and I had a breathalyzer that we used to carry around with us. We did. And we used to blow into it. And if it was too high, we would literally just go right back into a restaurant and just start eating and hanging out. And then we blow it again once it was, you know, basically none or well below, then we would leave. Like that's a pretty responsible level of drinking, right? Yeah, that's I I applaud you, sir. <laughs> yeah, we did it. We were so proud of ourselves. We we're like, we have the breathalyzer, you know, like we're really gonna make sure. And I remember a couple of times, I remember we came out of a bar and we we blew a pretty high number and we just turned right around and walked back in and said we'd like to order some more food for that. And that really that was like always been my thing. And, and I always think, but it's not that hard. You just have to do some things ahead of time to prepare yourself if you're going to indulge a little bit more than you think or be at your house or something. You know, I'm big in the house part. Just be at your house or something. You know, <laughs> don't go out, you know. There's little things you can do uh, for that. But I love the whole indulge like once a month. That's basically my thing. Like once a month, I go out and I rip it up. The rest of the time, really, really not doing anything. I mean, it's really not much going on. It's very like, and then, you know, my buddy and I will meet my business partner. We'll have it. We'll rip it up a little bit. It's awesome. 
you know, the control is much better that way, you know? I, I agree. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a couple bourbons and then finding yourself shopping on Amazon in your underwear in the comfort of your home. <laughs> if I did that in public, I'm sure I'd get kicked out. So I, I don't mind drinking at the house. I, I'm comfy there. You know, I, I support <laughs> drinking at home. <laughs> alone. <laughs> I've been guilty of at times. But it, is and it really alone if your dogs are there? I don't think so. I don't know. My dogs are always around me, and um, and I look at them sometimes. And I'm like, this bourbon's really good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I haven't ordered anything. I, that's all ordering while drinking. I definitely don't do that. That's a different deal. I don't know. <laughs> ordering on, while drinking? You don't go shopping online? No, I didn't even know that was a thing. That's definitely my vice. Really? Do you regret like the things you order? Not usually. I don't have buyer's remorse. <laughs> I'll end up like dropping thousands of dollars on a new bedroom set without looking at it. Oh my God. <laughs> it gives me courage to purchase the things that I would normally not purchase <laughs> if I... <laughs> was not drinking if i had tea i mean maybe i would have been a little bit more reserved mm, i see i see this is all very interesting to me I, there's much more here than i thought i was gonna get <laughs> i'm glad you're pleasantly surprised <laughs> it's all it's all good thing you know i just think that uh people are surprising to me all the time you're drinking a lot of that water you must plan on drinking bourbon later yeah no, you know what? I didn't have anything last night. Then I'll probably continue that role for a while. I'm good. I do that too, though. I do that too. Like I'll have like, oh man, I feel like having something really nice. And then like four days ago by, I'm like, eh, eh. I just don't have the, it's like a feeling for me. It's not like, oh, I'm stressed out. It's just more of like, like I'll turn to my wife and I'll be like, want to have a beer doesn't that sound good like right now she's like oh yeah that sounds great you know like and then it's like fleeting you know what I mean? like i never got the whole like somebody like I, somebody a long time told me like they had to stop drinking because they were drinking like a 12 pack constantly and i'm like i never had that feeling i don't know i don't you know whatever i just i never that never came to me <laughs> you know what i mean like sometimes those thoughts are connected to certain triggers though too like if i go into a sushi restaurant i get the same role no matter where i'm at but i just i just have to have a glass of sauvignon blanc sauvignon blanc isn't that fancy i don't sauvignon speak french blanc. So, sauvignon blanc i don't know how to say it but <laughs> i had to have a glass of like dry white wine and i just really enjoy that but like as soon as i walk in to a you know a steakhouse or japanese sushi uh hibachi grill or something i'm like <gasps> I can't have my sushi roll without my wine. And then it's, you know, it's just weird. It's like a trigger or, um, man, I'll tell you what, uh, Coke zero and like whipped vodka will send me into a tailspin. So I have to just like, not Whoa. even let that. Yeah. Not even let that. What is like, that? Coke zero and whipped vodka. Yeah. It tastes like vanilla Coke. And I, oh, I okay. okay. Yeah. I try not to drink any diet sodas anymore too, because it's just, you know the aspartame and all that stuff but um that's like my that's like my fallback if i'm at a concert or something i have to go on my fallback like security cocktail because it's anything else is just 
highly suspect. I don't know, but I can, I can drink those things like water. And then I am much more inebriated than I had planned. And I, yeah. I don't like feeling that way. No, so, no. That's why I do. That's why I do. That's why I turn to weed more often. Honestly, throughout the years, my friends and I, we were in my mid, no, early thirties. I was drinking a lot of booze. And then we would, we would always like, it's a weird group of guys. We always be like, how do you feel after this? And like, we were like, we check it in and we were like, feel terrible, you know? And so once we weed start coming out, we we're like, do a little bit of weed and drink. And you'd feel like you'd had more to drink than you actually had. And so you just felt like you wanted to be done much earlier in the night. And that just be, kind of became our thing, like maybe like a 10 milligram edible, one to two drinks, and then, you know, playing some games, talking a bunch of trash, and then in bed by 9, 9.30 at night. And so we switched from like later drinking to happy hour drinking. And I would, if you do like drinking and you enjoy imbibing, I would highly recommend happy hour. I don't, doesn't matter if people think you're not cool. Just drink earlier in the day and then be done and get a good night's sleep as much as you can, obviously, with that. You'll feel 20 times better. You'll feel like, I don't know, I actually feel great in the morning all the time. So, yeah, I, I would say, you know, if you want to not have the effects of alcohol in, affect your sleeping, then like stop drinking at seven or at the latest eight. If you're going to bed, and it, that's if you're drinking on the reserved side, if you go to bed at, 10 o'clock at night you still might have some of that processing out of your system and you you need deep sleep to to restore and function the next day so there are days when i don't get that sleep and then i wake up the next day and it's like it doesn't hit me until i've already been awake for two hours and i was like oh i don't i don't yeah. like the way it feels um i really wish that you know the state of indiana which is where i reside and also kentucky would get on board the medicinal marijuana um or you know even recreational but i don't see that happening in the foreseeable future especially with the heavy tobacco lobbyists and you know alcohol industries mm. and i i don't think that they're going to be legalizing it anytime soon but they do have i think kentucky has six um hemp farms that are being uh observed by the federal government so who knows where that's going to go but i mean we make the domino effect We've got all the good water and the good soil. We would make some pretty dank weed. We'd grow some pretty awesome. I bet you would. And I tell you, the states, uh, I went from one weed state to the next, Nevada to Washington. And you wouldn't believe how crowded these places are all the time. I mean, they're constantly busy, the, the dispensaries. And it's just interesting. Like, we stopped, we stopped criminalizing it. Once we started making it legal, I feel like then you know where it's actually coming from. When you go into a dispensary and you know actually where that weed is coming from and the strength of it. The worst thing about weed is when it's illegal and people are getting it on the street and who knows what it's laced with and all that stuff. I think that's the worst part about it. Mm -hmm. But when you're getting it from reputable distributors and it's legalized and you can make that decision it's a much better thing than just being like sneaking around trying to get stuff that <laughs> you don't know whether what's in it, you know? Right. It's that's scary in itself, but a lot of people don't realize that we have a, a system built in our bodies that, that requires cannabinoids. Like we yes, actually evolved with 
the hemp plant. That's why it grows on every continent. That's why it is as old as it is. Um, and due to the lobbying of, you know, in the 30s and 40s, maybe even sooner than that, um, hemp was demonized. And our, our bodies require hemp in some form, and it's it's meant to process it. So I wish that, I mean, there, we're making leaps and, and strides right now in, in the legalization thing, but um, I wish companies would be more open, not just companies, but states would be more open to just making it a federal thing. Because I would, I would prefer yeah. to, um, even though, you know, and I think even when I was younger and I, I would smoke it on occasion, I didn't like the way it made me feel. But again, it was super who illegal. Who knows what was in it, though? Yeah, who knows what was, seriously, who knows what's in that, where it's coming from? And now it's just so cut and dry. Like, uh, we have this place where I live in Washington. It's called Dank of America. I know. Sounds <laughs> funny. I like it. <laughs> and it's amazing. But you know, you know, when you're going there, you know exactly what you're getting. You know the strength of it. You know if it's a sativa, if it's indica, and you literally see every walk of life. You see 21 year olds in there. You see 80 year olds in there. You see 40 year olds in there. And nobody has this stigma of, oh, that's bad. Nobody feels like that. And I just think we're at a point where we have to stop demonizing some of these things without even knowing what they're. Uh, about like i remember when i did psychedelics and a couple of people were like oh that's like that stuff's terrible for him like do you, how do you know that have you researched it do you know that before it was made a schedule one drug that there was a tremendous amount of research that john hopkins divinity students were doing research on it it and then now john hopkins has picked back up the research and i think the state of colorado has decriminalized psychedelics now it is at least criminal, you know, it's just a matter of time. It's information and stuff. And so I even actually think alcohol is one of the worst things for you to be doing <laughs> at all those things. But I do think it kind of barrels around that. I still enjoy it on a, on a very moderate level, 95% of the time, and then 5% of the time, I'm not going to sit up here and lie and talk that I don't get, go crazy sometimes with my friends. Cause I do, because because you do too with whatever that is you're doing <laughs> whatever you know what i mean like nobody's perfect or flawed and you maybe not be doing anything on one end but you're doing something somewhere else probably on something else so yeah i think it's kind of a discussion on what are we doing you know what are the different vices and what's good what's bad i don't know all the way you know i i think it's all relative to everyone's own perspective there's an interesting piece of legislation it was the first uh law that was ever passed regarding our food and drug administration and it was uh, or i shouldn't say food and drug because that didn't exist then but it was our first consumer protection act and it was in 1897 and it was called the bottled in bond act and i don't know if you've heard of bottled in bond spirits no. Mm -hmm. uh, but basically it the government required distillers to bottle their juice because they were rectifying it so basically instead mm. of um you know it's like where the term gut rot came from uh basically it was like people were trying to give the illusion of a more aged whiskey so they would put something in like beet extract or worse like turpentine and no one knew what it was so it's it's the same thing today that we're facing as far as illegal um 
drugs and you know whether or not our weed is laced wouldn't you rather have a government the government come in and regulate that and you'd be able to know where your source is, uh, the purification of it. So when we look back at that first consumer law, we're thinking, okay, clearly we cared about alcohol before we ever cared about anything else that we put in, you know, to our systems. That obviously has some meaning. So why not just bring back the uh, ancient wisdom of 1897 and apply that to the psychedelics and to um, weed or whatever else hash you know probably not heroin we'd like to maybe keep that under control no, <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. like i said there are some things that are just bad and that's that's not good <laughs> and here's the evolution of why it's bad when coca-cola first came out it had cocaine in it and that's why people were really really enjoyed the beverage but once it became illegal, you start noticing a concentration of the drug, like the poppy plant into heroin and cocaine into crack. And, you know, even um, alcohol, like if you look at prohibition, people weren't drinking distilled spirits. It was like five to 10% of the population. Most people were still drinking beer and wine. But if you're going to outlaw alcohol, it's going to be a lot harder to, uh, you know, get it on the streets by mass quantities that you would need with beer or wine let's concentrate it make it high proof hide it in our you know our cars or whatever in in one barrel instead of 10 and it's a lot easier and it gets the job done so you have to think about how people's minds work <laughs> like let's try to make the most concentrated form so you get the most bang for your buck and it makes sense that's probably not the only reason out there but it definitely played a part Wow. That was very well said, by the way. Very well said. Yeah, um, yeah no, I think it's, it's actually amazing. I think, you know, it's just good to have this conversation. I think I've been looking for this conversation to talk to somebody who's in the mixology business or the alcohol business and, you know, the feelings about sober curiosity. And I think we both agree. I think it's a good thing. I honestly think it's a really good thing. I think people are overdoing it like super excessively like okay it's not necessary to be so excessive with it you know with alcohol um so i think that's good but i think there's also just a lot of hypocrisy in, in one thing versus the other and we're, we're trying to pit these these coffee oh i'm a coffee drinker i don't drink alcohol dude you're both doing drugs <laughs> like you know like you're both let's, let's, <laughs> you're both junkies for something you know it's like let's not have this hypocrisy Let's be safe. Let's make sure that we're doing things on a level that's response. Let's be responsible and let's just know what you're getting yourself into, you know? And, uh, you know, you're talking about that, uh, mocktail bar or whatever. I'm not sure I would go to that bar just to be, just to put that out there. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't go. Honestly, I just, it just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> like, you know, it's yeah. Well, I mean, it just becomes like a, like a smoothie or, you know, something juiced yeah. and, there's there's also uh i i know that we're running on time i don't know how much time you have tonight but there's also a point too like when i make the drinks i always try to reach for fresh i make all my own syrups i you know i reach for pure juice things like that but let's i'm really anti uh healthy cocktail that i've seen a lot like people have been oh it has turmeric or you know cinnamon which helps with lowering your blood sugar and like no dude you still have alcohol in there like 
<laughs> no matter what fancy tonic you're creating, you're still putting a toxin in there. So, and, and stop putting CBD cocktails because those two are opposite ends of the spectrum. Like just, just stop with the health claims too, because you have to be honest with yourself. You know, your, your beautifully handcrafted cocktail is not going to cure malaria. Well, it, it might, if it has like tonic in there, but just saying like, it, it's not going to, it's not going to cure the flu. It's, uh, it's alcohol. It depresses the system. So that's always a little bit hard for me to swallow, but I do like the approach of making things as fresh and organic as I can. Yeah, no, I, I, I actually am, I'm pretty in line with that. I think, um, you know, I, I think it's, int- it's good that people are being more thoughtful and saying, Hey, we're trying to make it more healthily based, but in the end, it still has booze in it, you know? And so you just got to call it what it is. I mean, if you want to have turmeric and you want to have all these other things in it, it's probably best to just have no alcohol with it <laughs> and just, just have like a smoothie or have like a Joe ju- juice or something, you know, like, I think it's just, you got to make a decision. Like if you're going into a bar, you're like, Hey, I know what I'm getting myself into. I know I'm going to have alcohol. That's just what it's going to be. You know, I, they can say it's skinny or something like that or less calories than that. I'm just going in because I like the taste. I want to enjoy it. You know, I'm going to be a little more relaxed. I'm not an idiot about it. I just know what I'm getting myself into. You know, I'm not That's denying it. You know? Totally a fair admission there. And I just wonder sometimes, like, when you look at the drugs that we do have and how we've manipulated them to create these delightful brews and elixirs, like, was that really what they were intended for? We can talk about moderation, but when you look at all of the drugs that people get excessively addicted to were were there original intents to to be addictive i mean no they were there for medicinal purposes they were they were there they were used by shamans to you know create a a medicinal kind of ritual to heal um even the psychedelics those were definitely delivered to certain people at certain times there was a lot of ceremony around it and I guess now the ceremony is, you know, twofers at TGIF, but it's totally taken out of context now. And moderation is a hard concept for me to wrap my head around sometimes because I have to think about its origin and what the intents were. And some days it was feast day where you could just, you know, have complete debauchery and, you know, sleep with 10 people. Like, that's okay. But it's just a little harder. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm dying right now. It's just, <laughs> you know what I started thinking about? You're talking about feast day. I can't get this out of my mind of the drinking and ordering something off Amazon in your underwear. I cannot, I can't get like, that, I don't know. I don't get the retail thing of it. I just don't get it. <laughs> well, it's, it's easier to do that than like put wine in a coffee tumbler and shop at TJ Maxx. You know, that's a little bit more of an aggressive approach. <laughs> you probably shouldn't take that, uh, that approach. You, people can smell the wine coming out of your coffee tumbler. <laughs> like, like, what's the move? Is it like you're drinking and then like your laptop's open or something? Or do you use your phone? Like, what's, what's the move to ordering? Like, <laughs> How do I seduce my laptop after I've had a couple? Yeah, what do you do? Like, <laughs> <laughs> do you like open up? You're like, oh, baby. 
I'm about to order a bedspread. <laughs> as long as it has matching shams, man, I'm in. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do next time you text me, you text me next time you're drinking and I'm going to send like an Amazon link to like a, uh, some sort of like, th you know, thread count bed spread or something <laughs> like, Ooh, box spring. I'm going to send you a box spring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, that Egyptian cotton can be pretty sassy. So that's, Hey, those things excite me. No, I mean, like I did a lot of Christmas shopping that way. I bought my husband a, a <laughs> demon kettlebell. Like you, you get lost in the scroll hole when you're drinking. <laughs> scroll hole? <laughs> yeah, I'm like 23 minutes in deep and, and I end up on this like, I don't know, website that had uh, customized skull kettlebells. I'm like, I would have never found this if I was wow. sober. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. It's actually incredible. Um, you know, I've had uh I have had a couple podcasts where I've had uh where like we've been drinking during the podcast. It's been it's actually a lot of fun, honestly. I mean, I've done it like twice. And like 70 plus episodes, I've done it a couple times. It's just funny. You know, I'm like cracking the bottles, like can you hear it? And I'm just like, we're chatting. It's actually pretty fun actually <laughs> doing it, you know. Yeah, well, maybe you should do a bourbon flight podcast. Will you do it with me? Let's do it. Let's just independently get the same bottle and we'll lay it out and we can talk about the taste. Notes. I like that. That is on. Okay. But it's a flight. Do we have to get different bourbons or just the same bourbon? You said it's a flight. So do you get different bourbons or just one? Yeah, you get different bourbons. So you're just getting like half ounces or ounces maybe depending on how you know much you want to throw down um and you know you yeah. just take the differences in the nuances and that would be a good show actually it'd be very interesting um i won't be ordering anything during it i can promise you that <laughs> <laughs> well we'll see halfway through i'll, I'll tell you to like <laughs> up, um i don't know overstock and see what happens overstock yeah exactly well, we're on a virtual handshake. We're going to do it. <laughs> Boom. And I actually think it'd be good because I, I'm very into like my palate and how different uh, spirits taste. And the, and I haven't really ever done that with, with like a single uh, spirit and really tried to taste the difference between these three or four brands for that. So I think it'd be a unique experience doing that. Yeah, yeah we're on. You let me know. Boom. I will let you know. Thank you, Carla, so much for being on. It's very enjoyable speaking with you. Thank you, Darian. Likewise. All right. We'll be in touch. Good night.